We don't do this just in stand on ceremony. We do this, you can stand. We do this really to honor God, to show that his word is unique and the only thing that's infallible this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant words. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every part of your word that is inspired. Thank you for every part of your word that reveals something about your character, your nature, and how we, how we live in relationship to you. God, I pray that this morning you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and you would fill each and everyone here with your Holy Spirit. God, it's only by your spirit that we can hear your words. It's only by your spirit that we can understand and apply your words. Lord, it's only by your spirit that we can respond. So God, enliven us. Enable us to hear from you, to receive from you. God, and we'd, would you transform us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever had a time when a massive storm came along and it went from really sunny, beautiful skies to really dark very quickly? Anybody ever had that experience at all? I know I've shared with you before how we were driving a care group one night a few years back and everything was beautiful, it was gorgeous, it was sunny, we were having a great time in the car, it was like 90 degrees, and then all of a sudden the sky got dark, the entire minivan was surrounded with darkness that was buffeted around and we were shaking all over the place. We couldn't see the, I couldn't see the front of my hood, it was so dark and so much rain and instantly went from 90, I looked at a little thermometer inside the minivan, and it was down, down to 60. We had like a 30 degree drop in about five seconds, and it was a dramatic shift. And I know it's probably not shocking for anybody else who has been on the, on the verge or on the edge of either a tornado like that was, or on the edge of a hurricane. You see, you see massive shifts, but in scripture you don't normally experience such a dramatic shift. I want you to look down your Bibles at Romans 8 for a moment, if you have your Bibles with you. In, in Romans 8, it begins with this glorious truth. It says, Paul is celebrating the gospel. Actually, all, all through Romans, he's been celebrating the fact that in Romans 1 to 3, how unrighteous people are made righteous by God in, in Romans kind of 3, 4, 5. And so that, so that they might live righteous lives. And that's Romans 6, 7, and 8. And so in Romans 8, he opens up with this glorious truth. And, and by the way, Romans 8 is probably my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. And he opens up saying, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For he has done what, what, what we in the flesh, we could not do. Look in, in Romans 8, verse 1. He says, for the law, the spirit of life has set you free 
in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. And he goes on from there. He continues on, and the heights, really the pinnacle of the gospel, and he talks about how God has predestined us. He's chosen us in him so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, so that he might undo all the effects of the curse that the first Adam and the effects of sin has corrupted us, and God came, and he saved us, and he predestined us, and so that we might be conformed, made back into the image of Jesus Christ, into the perfect one when we are with him. And God already sees us as glorified. And and by the way, in this journey of life that we are going through, God is for us. No one can be against us. And you're, you know, you're like, whoa, talk about beautiful skies here. God's for us. No one can be against us. If he didn't spare his son, he's not going to withhold any good thing. And then earlier you said, well, well, the Holy Spirit, even when we're weak, he prays for us when we're too weak. And, And not only that, the wonderful, glorious truth is that Nothing. Look down your Bibles at the end of Romans chapter 8. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then look in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... And then skip down in verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No matter what storms come, we're, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you get to that point and that doesn't affect you, I don't think you understand it. That's the sunniest, bluest skies in the entire Bible. That's the best news you can get. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. For those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus, God's for you. The Holy Spirit's interceding for you. He won't withhold anything you need. And nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. And he's interceding for you too. But if you were receiving this letter from Paul and it was being read out loud in the church in Rome, you'd be kind of shocked. You see, there's no chapter divisions. There's no chapter divisions in the original letter that Paul wrote. And so you go from this, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. And then all of a sudden, Paul shifts and these dark, gloomy skies kind of hit. And he says, I'm I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness. I have great sorrow. You're like, geez, Paul, what happened? What in the world happened? I have great sorrow. He says, unceasing anguish. And you're like, are you, are you using hyperbole here? Are you over-exaggerating? What's going on? Do you need to talk about the heights of the glorious gospel that you have? Why, why all the, the gloom and doom? Why are you so sad? Well, I think he was so sad precisely because he was so affected by the glories of the gospel. I think he was actually so sad because he was personally so glad because he was so affected by the good news of the gospel, it made him extremely sad that others would not receive the gospel. And and I think that really the main idea I want us to see this morning from these five verses is if we really, if we truly believe the gospel, if, if you and I truly believe the gospel, it affects how we live and how we relate to others with the gospel. If you truly, if you if you truly believe the gospel, You're going to be affected 
by the gospel. And it's going to affect how you live and relate to other people. But the question for us is, does it? Do you truly believe the gospel? And that's the question for all of us. I trust for the majority here it's yes. The other questions are, does does it affect how you live and relate to others? Does it affect you? When we have those glorious, wonderful, rejoicing times, you know, it's, it's like when you're away on vacation for a long time and you've had a great time and about three days before you come back, you realize, oh man, I'm about to come back to reality and because I've been away for so long, work has piled up and this is gonna stink. Now, you ever have those moments? Maybe that's just me. Um, Paul has realized how wonderful the gospel is, but then he's really affected because he realizes that his kinsmen have not received, have not received the gospel by and large. He was personally convinced of the truth and the power of the gospel, though. Why was he so affected personally? He was so affected personally because he had personally been changed by the power of the gospel. And, and that's one of the implicit things I want to draw. It's not explicitly spelled out, but you've got to wonder, how is a guy so affected, how has he become so emotional about the good news of the gospel? How does he go from rejoicing to sadness? What is the, what's up with that? Well, it's because his personal conviction of the gospel was evident. And I think it's true for us. Personal conviction of the truth and power of the gospel, they will be evident in our lives. If you have personally been convicted of the truth and power of the gospel, it will be evident in your life. And what I mean by the gospel is the good news that you could not be good enough, that you could never attain, that you could not do anything to earn God's favor, and yet God sent his son. He so chose to love you that he sent his son so that whoever believes in him might live and not perish and have eternal life. If that good news that all of your sins have been forgiven does not affect you, then I wonder, do you truly believe it? He'd been dramatically changed and confronted by Jesus. Remember who the apostle Paul was? We, we talked about this at the very beginning of Romans. He was once an enemy of the gospel. He was once an enemy of Jesus Christ. You and I, we were once enemies of the gospel. Do you, do you know that? You know, it's, it's not okay to be a, a, a good legalist. A good legalist is a strident enemy of God. It's not okay to live a good moral life externally and, and trust in your own abilities and just be good to other people. That's, that's not enough. At least it's not enough to be saved. It's enough to get you to hell. Paul was an enemy. Now he'd seen the truth of the gospel personally. He was once a persecutor. Now he's a persuader. He was once a legalist. Now he's free in Christ. Do you live in that freedom? Paul was living in that freedom. That's why he was so affected. He was powerfully converted by Jesus. And it's what he lived for. It's what motivated him. It's what inspired him. It's what affected his emotions. The gospel actually is what caused him to be both glad and sad. It changed how he related to the world, how he thought about the world, how he thought about other people. It changed all of those things. And the question for you, has it, have you allowed the truths of the gospel, have you applied them to your life so that it changes how you look at people, how you think about people, how you feel about people? Even people who hate you. Paul here, he's sad because of the gospel. Even though the people he's sad about hated him. And specifically, he was sad that his fellow man did not receive the gospel. And the second 
truth we're going to see from this is that conviction that others truly need the gospel is a fruit of the gospel. Conviction that others truly need the good news of Jesus Christ is a fruit of the fact that you have received and believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. You see, in in chapter 9, what Paul is doing, he's realized he's gotten to these glorious heights of the good news of Jesus Christ, and then he realizes, hang on. People are going to wonder, they're going to wonder what happened to to the Jews. What happened to the Jews? Aren't they God's chosen people? Haven't they received God's promises? How could they be separated from God? And why is it that so many Jews have not believed in Jesus by faith? See, the Jews were part of God's original Old Testament chosen people. And yet, when Paul is writing, most of the Jews had not responded. And so it begs the question, how can that be? Weren't they his chosen people? Is the gospel inconsistent with the promises that God made to Israel? And what Paul's going to go on to explain in, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, it's, it's not like Paul is taking an excursus. He's not writing something separate. He's writing, if, if God's promises are true and all these glorious truths of the gospel are true, let me explain to you why they're still true for the Jews, even though not all the Jews have responded. And he's about to embark in that on Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And explain how God's promises really haven't failed. It was always about God choosing a people. It was always in God's discretion, God's choosing. It was always about God showing mercy. And and people need to respond in faith. It was never about works. And he's going to go on to explain those things in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. But as he does that, as he begins to do that, he's affected personally by the need of the Jews for the gospel. And it affects him. It, It shakes him to the core. Look in verse 1 again of Romans 9. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He's like, I'm I'm not manufacturing this. I'm not making this emotion up. I I am so deeply cut to my core. I'm not lying, he says. My conscience bears me witness. Now, you know, our conscience can be either seared or oversensitive. He says, in the Holy Spirit, it bears me witness, meaning that the Holy Spirit testifies that his conscience is clear, that he's not lying, he's telling the truth. He is dramatically affected. And look at verse 2, he says, I have, he says, great sorrow, sorrow, mega sorrow is the, the, the original word there. I have mega sorrow, unceasing anguish, anguish that doesn't stop, that keeps nagging and gnawing at me, this, this sorrow that's great, this anguish that keeps going on. And what is this all about? Because he wants his fellow people to respond to Jesus. They hadn't recognized Jesus, even though he fulfilled all the law and the prophets. He demonstrated who he was with many signs and wonders and miracles. And this isn't hyperbole. Paul isn't saying these things because it's the right thing to say. His conscience bears witness to the Holy Spirit. He is deeply saddened that his countrymen do not know Jesus. Are you deeply saddened? When you look around you and you see your countrymen and they don't know Jesus, does that cause you great sorrow? If not, why not? If you've been affected by the good news yourself, if you truly understand what he's rescued you from, is the depths of your own depravity, if he's rescued you from eternal damnation, if he's rescued you from the wrath of God, if he's rescued you from always being under the weight of sin, never being free from sin, and he's made you free. Why don't you have sorrow? Why don't we have sorrow? Why don't I have sorrow? And anguish in our hearts 
There was a lot of division and unrest in the church in Jerusalem at the time. There was a big division still between Jews and Gentiles in the church. And the Jews were saying, you still have to keep the law. And the Gentiles were saying, we don't need your laws. And by the way, we don't need you. And so they were causing this huge division in the church. And so Paul is writing to explain to them, no, you, you really do, that you can't ignore the Jews. Everything comes from them to begin with. Don't be so arrogant. But Jews, you, you need the gospel. There was much division in the church, and division has no place in the church. Division based on racial or ethnic boundaries, on social structure, any kind of division has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Division in lost society isn't surprising, but it's grievous. Paul was grieved as he saw the division in society around him, as he saw rampant problems. He saw Jews and Gentiles, people hating and being hated. You know, this yesterday, we, if you saw the news, if you turned on the news anywhere, you would have seen that there was horrific acts of, of racism yesterday and people murdering other people because they disagreed with them. They murdered people because of their pride of race. As a church, we have to condemn those kinds of things. We condemn racism in all its forms. We condemn any ideas of national nationalism or white supremacy or all that kind of garbage or any racism at all. And when we see those things, it should grieve us. It should grieve us. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not how God intended for us to live. So what's the solution? What was the solution for Paul? What's the solution for us? The solution, was it for Paul? Does he go into addressing things, talking about an education program? Well, I think that can be helpful. You can educate people. That awareness, it might help. Social programs, they might help. Prosecution or jail time, in the case of the murderer yesterday that he was terrorizing those people with their, his car. It's good to put him in jail, but it doesn't change hearts. How, how do you change? How do you address those things? How do we respond if we've been affected by the gospel? What's truly necessary, what's truly grievous is that, is that what's wrong with people, what divides people is that they're not united in Christ Jesus. That they've not received the gospel, they've rejected the gospel. And people's rejection of the gospel, it's, it's grievous. And if you're, if you're not grieved by that, you have to wonder, am I? Have I been affected by the gospel personally? Because being grieved by others' need for the gospel is a fruit of your own personal grasp of the gospel. That, that what's necessary, people, what people truly needed back in Romans 8 and 9 and Romans 1, what people needed in the 50s, what people need today is the same. They need the good news of the power of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. What we need, what we should have sorrow over and anguish over is that, that the gospel needs to be proclaimed and people must respond and receive it. That's meant to drive us and affect us and stir us. When you look around you and you see people complacent, 
When you look around you and you see people okay with the status quo, when you look around you and you see people divided, it should affect us, it should grieve us. The biggest need that we all have, irrespective of race or background or socioeconomic status, I don't care, we are all equally in need of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that the biggest need of the Jews was their personal salvation. And, and they had all the right knowledge. They had all the right information. And yet they didn't respond. They even knew, most of the Jews knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him. You know, in this society, especially in the Greenville area, you might encounter a lot of people who have all the right knowledge. They're like, yeah, I, I've read the Bible. Yeah, I, I know about Jesus. And you're like, yeah, but you don't know him. Don't be okay when somebody says, yeah, I've heard that. And you're like, yeah. Well, you don't believe that, and that's a problem. And that should affect us. It should grieve us. There should be unceasing anguish and deep sorrow, mega sorrow. You can know about Jesus but not know him. If you're here today, the question for all of us is, how about you? Do you know him or do you just know about him? Are you comfortable knowing about Jesus or are you, do you know Jesus and does he stir you? To say, I, others need to know Jesus as well. Others need to know Jesus as well. Do you grieve for others? And how can you tell? How can you tell? Is there, do you have great sorrow? I'm not, trying to con, I'm not trying to push you to feel guilty or be condemned. Remember, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But the gospel is meant to affect us, to change us and change how we live and how we relate to other people. One of the ways that we saw in the Apostle Paul in these verses and beginning of verse 3 is that Paul was willing to do whatever it took so that others would know Jesus. And so what I wanna, want us to see is that, is that being willing to do whatever it takes, being willing to do whatever it takes for others to know Christ, it's a fruit of the gospel. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for other people to know of Jesus? Now, I don't mean sinning for other people to know Jesus, I don't mean doing harmful, bad things. I don't mean that. I mean, are you willing to do whatever lies within your power in honoring God to have others know Jesus? I read a story of a man in the Daily Mail. It's a UK paper. It says, devoted father sacrificed his life to save his disabled son when a car careered towards them as they walked together. George Tyson, 61, pushed Gary out of the path of the oncoming car, but took the full impact himself. He was killed almost instantly. His 32-year-old son was airlifted to hospital and later discharged after being treated for minor injuries and shock. Last night, Mr. Tyson's distraught family praised him for making the ultimate heroic sacrifice to save the life of his son. Melanie Tyson, his daughter, said, My dad's life was cruelly taken away from him, and although... Through various witness statements, the story is blessed with his selfless act of saving the life of my brother, who, by the way, was autistic and had some other disabilities and couldn't rescue himself. His dad was willing to do whatever it took to, to save his son. What we're talking about is not just this life here on earth. We're talking about life eternal. Are, are you willing are you willing to do whatever it takes for others to know Jesus? If so, that's a fruit of the gospel. If not, we all need to be challenged. 
Look, look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. That's a, that's a pretty big word, by the way. Accursed, the, the, the original word is anathema. I wish I was accursed, cut off from God, considered separated from God's people. Anathema. I, I wish I could be considered accursed, cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's an astounding statement. This is the Apostle Paul who relished and rejoiced in the good news of the gospel. And he says, if, it was, if there was any way possible, if I could cut myself off from Jesus, if I could go to hell for them, if I could be hated by Jesus again, if, if God could count me as cursed in their place, I would do it. I would do it for my brothers. My kinsmen, and he says, according to the flesh, because he knows that they're not really living as his kinsmen. Most of the Jews who weren't believers hated Paul. Pretty hardcore. Paul says, I'd be willing to be accursed, cut off from, from Christ, suffer the torments of hell, and somehow it would rescue them. The only other time we see that in the Old Testament is is with Moses. When the people of Israel sinned, they created this golden calf. And Moses was taking too long for them, so they got impatient. And they're like, well, he's not coming down, so I guess we have to figure out our own way to worship. So we're going to create this golden calf and worship this golden calf that we created. And so they worshiped a God of their own making. God was angry with them, to say the least. Moses tries to intercede on their behalf, and he prays, and he says in Exodus 32, he says, but now, if you'll forgive their sin. But if not... Please blot me out of your book that you've written. That was, that was Moses' desire. That was the Apostle Paul's desire, is that if there was any way, if I could take their place, I would do it. Now, God, of course, dismisses Moses and says, that's ridiculous. You were obedient to me. It's only those who have rejected me that will be blotted out. There's no way for us to take the place of others. We can't be condemned so that others might be saved. But it really shows the heart of Paul that he was willing to do whatever it took and he did whatever it took so that his kinsmen might know Jesus. He was willing to endure all kinds of suffering and punishment and pain. Think about Paul saying that. Even after all these years, Paul had preached the gospel to the Jews first in every city he went to. Even after in each city he would be beaten by the Jews, kicked out of the city by the Jews, he went right into the next synagogue. Why? Because he had such a heart for the lost. He was, he was beaten. He was abused. He was misused. He was stoned and left for dead. All that was by the Jews. And yet now, years later, he says, I, I feel great sorrow, mega sorrow, unceasing, unending grief that my kinsmen, according to the flesh, have not responded to Jesus. They've not placed their faith in Jesus. How would you respond? Would you have such a heart for people if they abused you and misused you? Or would you think, they're gonna get what they deserve? I know for me, I'm glad when some guy is you know, weaving in and out of traffic and cuts me off, and later on I see him pulled over, and I'm like, yes, you know? That's awful. It's this morbid desire to see other people get what's coming to them. But that's not a godly desire. And it's not a godly desire when it comes to the people, either maybe in religious circles, who are 
legalists and yet don't love Jesus? Do you love them so much that you want them to be rescued? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? How about your neighbors, your fellow countrymen, according to the flesh, who might be hating Christians and speaking down about Christians? Do you want what's coming to them or do you want them to be changed? When you see the division in the world around us, when you see people hating and being hated, do you, do you want them to know Jesus? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? You know, in a small way I can relate. You know, with my wife and my children, I have often had those feelings like I would do whatever it takes to preserve and protect their lives. And I'm sure every other parent here can say the same thing, that you would do whatever it takes to protect your children. Or maybe you have children who have rejected the good news. And you can relate to Paul. And you think, I would gladly, I'd gladly suffer torment if they would turn. Paul says, I, I, I would trade my life for theirs. I, I would if I could. And I'm grieved. His passion to see the law saved was far greater than his own sense of personal justice or vindication or retribution. It was far bigger than the petty racial differences that he saw around him. How about you? When people have wronged you, when they've rejected you, when they've ridiculed you or hurt you, is your love for God, your desire to see them come to know Jesus, is it even greater than your desire for justice or revenge or whatever else you feel? You know, how could the Apostle Paul still be willing to give himself up for people who so abused and mistreated him and hated him and who would throw him into jail and actually be the end of his life, the cause of the end of his life? I think it was because he was aware of just how much he'd been forgiven. He was aware of his own need for salvation, his own unworthiness. He was aware he'd once been hated by Jesus and rejected. He was aware he only deserved the wrath and punishment of God. So before you start judging other people, remember what judgment you deserved. It was Paul's heartfelt, deep conviction that he had received mercy when he only deserved wrath that motivated him. And he wanted to see his countrymen saved as well. He knew that had Jesus not rescued him, he would be destined to eternal damnation himself. But he was confronted by Jesus. He was rescued. He was delivered. He was elected. He was chosen. Not because he'd, he'd responded to God or was looking for God. God stopped him. And Paul was aware that had he not been stopped by Jesus, he would never have pursued Jesus at all. He knew what he deserved. He knew he wasn't better than those who had not chosen to follow Jesus. And that motivated him to desire their salvation. How about you and I? Sadly, sadly, I think, you know, am, am I willing to go outside of my comfort zone? If Paul is willing to give his very eternal life for the sake of his countrymen who hated and abused him, am I willing to lay down my fear of man when I go into a restaurant and talk to the waitress and I kind of engage in a little conversation and, and I see that she's really hurting us. Am I willing to share the gospel with her and face being rejected? Am I willing to, to face my neighbor thinking I'm, I'm weird and rejecting me? Am I willing to have my coworkers think I'm a freak 
Am I willing to do the difficult things, even the small things? Sadly, the answer for me often has been no. I don't say that to condemn myself or to condemn you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But there's conviction, and the gospel demands a response. Not to please God, not that we could ever be approved by God by our sharing the good news, but it's the way we worship Him with our whole lives because he's given everything for us. Won't we give our own lives? For Paul, it was even harder to swallow if you look in the latter half of these verses because of all the promises of God that had come to the Jews. It was harder for him to swallow because he saw that they had all the right knowledge, they had all the right privileges, but it didn't guarantee knowing Jesus personally. Having all those, all the right knowledge, having privileges doesn't guarantee knowing Jesus personally. And that's a warning for us. Knowing a lifeboat can rescue you and, and taking hold of the person in the lifeboat are two different things. One requires action, responding. I, I heard about a story of Hurricane Katrina from back, I think it was 2005, and Hurricane Katrina was coming, and they knew a couple days out, about three days out, they knew that Hurricane Katrina was bearing down on the Gulf Coast, and they changed direction. It was going to hit Texas and Louisiana, and so they went to all the areas that were prone to 50-year flooding and 100-year flooding, and they went to all those places and said, we, it's not mandatory, but we want you to evacuate. Would you please evacuate? And most of the residents did. Some did not. And there's a story of a woman who had three children in a trailer in a 50-year floodplain. And they, she, she refused. She said, no, that's fine. I've, I've lived here all my life. We've never had any problems. They came back the, the next day. The EMTs and, the, and the, uh, the, I think it was the National Guard came by the next day. And they said, would you please evacuate? We'll, we'll give you a ride out. We have a place, shelter for you to stay. And she said, no, thank you. The day before Katrina hit, they came back again to the same woman and said, hey, if not for you, for the sake of your children, would you please evacuate and come to safety? And she said, no, I'm fine. Well, the day of Hurricane Katrina, as it was bearing down, before it took all the power lines out, she got a call through. They sent a a helicopter out to try to rescue her. By the time they got there, the floodwaters had covered the trailer. They couldn't get to her. They couldn't get to the children. She was gone. She wasn't rescued because she was stubborn. She, she had all the right knowledge. She had all the privileges of being able to be rescued, but she refused. Having the right knowledge about God, growing up in a church, having all the right doctrine, knowing about Jesus, having all the privileges of having uh, a good home, having all the privileges of growing up with knowledge about the Bible, it doesn't guarantee knowing Jesus personally. And just because you have knowledge and privileges doesn't mean you do. Look in verse four, Paul was talking about the Israelites and he says, they are Israelites. And that term, normally, he refers to them as Jews. And normally, that nation was, in that time, referred to them as Jews. But he says, they are Israelites. What he means to say is, they are the people of Jacob, who is your name to Israel. They are the people of the nation of God. They're the chosen people of God. He says, to them belong the adoption. God chose them. He adopted them as sons and daughters. 
They have the glory, the very Shekinah glory of God. They have the very covenants of God, the law, the prophets they have all received. They, they have the giving of the law, the worship. They have a way to come to God and, and to be in his presence, to be right with God. They've received all these good things. They've heard about it all. They've, they've heard all of the prophets tell about Jesus who is to come. And the Messiah is to come who is Jesus. They have the covenants with, with Abraham. They have a covenants with Isaac and Jacob. The, the covenant with Moses. The, the Davidic covenant. They've received all of these covenants and yet they don't know they don't know Jesus personally. And all the right knowledge, all the right privileges, but yet they've not responded to him. Look in verse 5, it says, To them belong the patriarchs, the, the forerunners of the faith, the example. All of their fathers, they saw their example. And then he gets to the pinnacle from their race, ethnically speaking, from their race. The very Messiah according to the flesh, who's the Christ, the Messiah, who's God over all. God made flesh, has made himself known to the Jews. He's blessed over all forever, amen. And yet they've not responded, and that's why he's so sorrowful. What a tragedy that most of the Jews did not follow Jesus and thereby rejected their birthright and heritage. Now, because of that, that's why Paul's launching into Romans 9, and people were wondering if God's promises are really true. But the Jews, if they would not listen to the testimony of the law, the prophets, and Jesus himself, they would be cut off themselves and responsible for their own cutting off. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus so that you have a relationship with him and you know him personally, and yet you've heard about him and you've experienced the privileges of knowing about him and you know about him, then you're responsible for your own cutting off. Promises are true, but they need to be trusted. And I'd appeal to you, if, you, if you're not sure, you can be sure. If you have all the right knowledge, if you live the right life, but you're saying, my heart isn't stirred, I'm not affected, you, you can place your faith and hope in God and, and you don't have to wonder. Paul's wishing he could be cut off so his people wouldn't be. But here's the thing. Paul could not be cut off for, for the salvation of his people. But here's the good news. Paul couldn't be cut off. Moses couldn't be cut off. They're one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament and Jewish history. But you know who was cut off was Jesus. Jesus did cut himself off from God. Jesus was accursed. He was cut off so that we would not be cut off. He was cut off so that we would forever be grafted into him. He, he was separated from God so that we would never be separated in Romans 8. He was condemned so we would know no condemnation. He was abused so that we could go free. He was punished so that we could experience the righteousness that he earned for us. He took all our sins so that we would be sinless. Do you personally believe the gospel? If so, does it affect how you live and what makes you happy and what makes you sad? Do you believe the gospel is what other people need? If so, how can you tell? 
Do you have a heart that cares enough to, to go across whatever barrier that you have that keeps you from communicating the good news? Are you affected by the gospel enough that you're willing to do whatever it takes to go to your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your classmate, your, your parent, your sibling? Are you willing to do whatever it takes because Jesus did everything that it took for you? And church, having all the right privileges and knowledge doesn't guarantee you know Jesus personally, but you can. Don't sit on the couch watching the football game knowing that there's a hurricane coming and you're an EMT and you can respond and help, but you just sit there because there's a big game on. Go out, compel. Go out, appeal. And if you're not affected, be affected by what God's rescued you from. Go back and read Romans 8, 1 through the end. Be affected by the fact there's no condemnation for you. Isn't that good news? There's freedom. He sets you free because you couldn't set yourself free. That the Holy Spirit, when you're too weak to live for him, he, he prays for you so that you won't be. He, he knows what's best for you, and, and God is, is going to give you whatever you need to honor him, and, and he's conforming you to his image, and Jesus is praying for you, nothing separating you from his love. Let those truths compel you like they compelled Paul, and let them inspire you to desire the salvation of others. Let's pray. As we pray, good, and the band come up. Father, Thank you for the example we see in Scripture of having sorrow and grief because of the good news, because others need the good news. God, what's wrong with the world around us today is that they don't know you. Lord, I pray that you would heal our land, that you would heal what divides us as a nation that you would send laborers out into the fields to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that you would give us boldness, that you would give us words to proclaim, that you would fill us with your spirit to enable us to know what to say and how to say it, that we would not shrink back, I pray. Lord, I pray that we would be affected deeply by how, how you have freed us and how we are not condemned and how you have made us one in you and how nothing separates us from you. Lord, I pray that that would inspire us, fill us with great joy and yet also sorrow. And Lord, will we go out then and respond?